Luke chapter 8, 1 to 21. Soon after we w- he went on through, through cities and villages, proclaiming and, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna and the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provide for them out of their means. And when the great crowd was gathering, the people from the town after town came to him and said in a in the parable, A sower went, went out to, to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell through the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It weathered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into the soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others they are in parables, so they are seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones among the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away in the word of their hearts. So they may not believe, and he saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But those who have no root, they may believe for a while, and in time of their testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast and in honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting the lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor anything secret will be not known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not seen, even that he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to hear you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear for the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we get to open our scriptures once again, I have a huge announcement to make. Samples have returned to Costco. I know for some of you, yeah, I mean, for me, it's been a long road the past couple years, but samples are back. You got to take my wins as I get them, okay? And I, I had a minute without kids, and I'm, I was there, a couple things had to get, and uh, went for chicken. They were out, which was a bummer, but right next to the chicken was a sample of cinnamon rolls. So I was like, God is sovereign and in control, okay? Sometimes you don't get what you want, but you get a cinnamon roll. And the crowd around that sample dispensary, the lady was hooking up cinnamon rolls. There was like 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-olds. I mean, there was not anybody in the store under 40 around, I was like the youngest one there, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, we're all getting our cinnamon rolls, 
felt kind of bad because a mom with a young kid came down the aisle, and I'm like, sorry, you're all, you're all out of luck. We, we've been waiting for years for this, and now our samples are back, okay? Whew. The funny thing is with samples, I love them. I never buy them. I never buy what I sample. And I don't know if that's true for you, but looking around that crowd, we had our little sample of cinnamon rolls and in our carts where I was hoping for chicken, but I had the eggs and some vegetables and my, my Traeger pellets, you know, it's a good deal for the blend, premium blend at Costco. And that was kind of the, the, the essentials, some olive oil. And everyone had kind of your key essentials, but no frivolous things in our car. We, we didn't have what was being sampled. And so often we come to the word and, and we come and we want to sample it. And as, as Jesus is here, sets up this, this picture that Luke writes about, this giant crowd. The commentators and historians say this crowd was, was the largest, if not one of the largest crowds that Jesus amassed. And he tells us why. People were healed, demons were cast out, and the women that had joined his team were the financial supporters. I mean, the, the one of over Herod's household is also helping finance Jesus' ministry. And I want to get into a sermon and un- unpack that, but I want to share a quick word that those looking at Jesus' team were the male Pharisee religious leaders, and they're looking at his Predominantly, as, as Luke wants to make sure we understand, it wasn't just boy, men, fishermen. It, it was women and men mixed equally, and, and God's representatives made in his image. And, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, here's, here's this, my team, and here's the biggest crowd ever, and he's about to address both, saying, here's what we're supposed to do, and here's what we're to hear. And, and the bottom line is this, is you're going to need to... Use God's word or lose it. Use God's word or lose it. And we see Luke starts out, and one day we'll get into it ex- explicitly and in detail, but he, he names these women, especially Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So talk about testimonies. Talk about a, a life transformed by Christ. And then Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And and we're going to get in to see why and how that happened. While many in the crowd came and they gathered that was so large, in in Mark's account, Jesus had to get into a boat. And and as the nerdy people look at this and they go, well, obviously he had to get in a boat. The giant crowd, he needed the acoustics off the water. It's like, hey, we're getting a little too far down the like bows and acoustic and what speaker's better but the reality is the crowd was ginormous. And looking at, in my high school days of English, I don't remember much, but I remember we weren't allowed to use the word great. It was a dead word. It was too, and, and here, he actually, I think Luke intentionally wrote it. In the English, we have such a hard time because our, our language is so limited. We have to use it because it's literally the biggest crowd. Like, it's a great crowd. There's so many people here. Men, women, kids, elderly, and Jesus has the task. He's supposed to bring the gospel to the world and he knows he has three years to do it. And Luke is writing after the fact of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So Jesus rose from the dead and is in heaven. He's saying to Theophilus, your disciple, here's the point Jesus was doing and teaching here for his disciples. Now you're a disciple. And now we, even though it's written to them, it's for us as disciples. Here's the word we're given today. The word is we have to use it or lose it. 
Use it or lose it. And so he's saying to this large crowd that we see throughout our country and others, there's massive crowds that gather and they worship. And you could pack them in, right? All you have to do is send out flyers and youth ministry is tempting. Just print up a flyer that says, hey, free iPod shuffle. And you'd pack kids in. They're like, sweet, shuffle. I've got like 200 songs. I'm like, yeah, loser. Right? My phone has more than that. But yeah, here's a free shuffle. Get kids in. And now you could say, hey, we're raffling off a new Mustang or Tesla or a Chevy Camaro that's going to be not in production anymore. We're going to give it away and pack people in because it's trivial. And Jesus has an opportunity as they've come to, to see the miracle worker. And he delivers this brilliant and masterful parable, a short story. And he often spoke in these parables to, to, to be clear and concise. His teachings were always so simple, short, and to the point. And it's mind-blowing how just profound he's able to pack in the most important truths in, in a way that a two-year-old and a 200-year-old could understand. So preaching in verse 1, Jesus goes through the area preaching the kingdom of God. The 12 disciples are with him. Many women are added to help the ministry. And he's, under, he's saying, hey, you, you're hearing and seeing. So those in the crowd, you're hearing and seeing. Let me help you understand how that's important for the process of faith. Let me move from point one to hearing and seeing to explain how faith grows. So we're doing a week one, week two, in, in chapter eight, entitling how to have faith in a fearful world. How do we have faith in a fearful world? So we're going to start here as Jesus teaches us how faith grows, and he uses this symbol of, of a sower to explain the seed. And, and again, we, we see in, in Scripture when we get into this, anytime men get into God's area, we, we mess things up. And so someone thought it was a good idea to title this message about seeds and soil, uh, the sower, which He's just mentioned there's no, no details, no information. It's all about the seed and the soil. And we see that Jesus speaks through this symbol. In verse 4, this great crowd was gathered. People from town after town came to him. And he says this parable in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. In verse 7, some fell among thorns, and those thorns grew up with it and choked it. In verse 8, and some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. He said those things, and he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. So the sower goes forth and shares these types of soils. The trodden down, the fools came and ate it. The fowls, the, the birds of the air came down and ate it. The, then the rocky area where the seeds sprouted quickly, but because of the bedrock, it, the, the sun withered it away. And then the thorns, third part, the thorns choke out the new growth. They take what resources and energy are there, and it distracts. And then the last one was the good ground. Spring up 100-fold was the increase. There's a, there's a profit there. There's a benefit there. And he says, hey, if you have ears, listen up. Some understood, but a lot of people were confused and perplexed, especially those he chose, a part of his mission and team, to bring the seed to the world, to bring the word to the world. They were confused, and, and we see that in verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, I just, it's like, hey Jesus, I know you, you chose me to follow you, but could you explain, like, can you explain 
are we planting grass or are we planting corn? Like, what's the whole, hey, Jesus, like, my favorite story as a kid was Joseph. Are we, is there a famine coming? Are we supposed to get ready? Because, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't have any seed. I'm, I'm a fisherman. Should I learn how to farm? Because my cousin, he's really good at, like, water irrigation stuff. He's good at that stuff. Like, is that kind of our, our direction here? Is there a famine coming? Like, they're so confused. They're like, Jesus, you have the biggest crowd in the world, and you're talking about seeds. What's the point? We're confused. This hard saying, and he speaks in these parables that are so simple, but our minds and our hearts are so hard, and we want, we want to be told what feels good, what's beneficial for us, and so we're like, I, I don't really get it. Why are, you, why, are you asking, why are you talking about this, Jesus? What did this mysterious little story have to do with them and for us? Going back to Isaiah, we see in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, it helps us see this, this perspective that Jesus' words allude to. There we find where Isaiah records his encounter with God in the temple. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple in Isaiah 6.1. The result of his holy confrontation, Isaiah's call and his acceptance, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'll, I'll go. Send me. I'll go. And so that was his acceptance of his mission. And so God sends Isaiah. And here's the oddest commission ever. God's like, okay, perfect. Now I need someone to go and tell people about me. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'll go tell people about you. And God's like, perfect. Here's your message. In verse 9 and 10, go tell this people be ever hearing, but don't understand. Be ever seeing, but never perceive. And, and make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull. Keep putting earplugs in. And make sure you, you put those sleeping iPads that make everything dark and comfy. and co- Just keep them asleep. Close their eyelids. Uh, otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And they'll have this understanding with their heart. And they'll turn and be healed. Go tell them that, Isaiah. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've never heard that Sunday sermon or, or that Sunday school lesson as a kid. Hey, go tell your friends and put earplugs in and, and blind them so they can't see Jesus and, and be saved. Don't let them. What? It's so strange. But uh, the point is, is that Isaiah went with such a simple and clear message that it, it was too simple. It, it wasn't complex enough, and they couldn't make money off of it, and they couldn't control people by it, and they couldn't puff them up uh, as humans and, and build their own kingdom. And so Isaiah went, and he obeyed that strange commission. Isaiah's preaching was so plain and systematic and, and reasoned and logical that the sophisticated people of his day scorned him and said, dude, you, you keep teaching to kindergartners. Who, who's your audience? And, and they disdained him because they were saying, look, you, you keep talking about like little babies that are weaned from the milk. The, those have just taken from their, their nursing mother's breasts. Like, why are you talking to infants and, and kind of cooing? And, and Isaiah 28, 9 says, as, as best we can translate it, it says, do and do, do and do, rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here, a little there. And so it's, it's simple, and yet you're like, I don't understand. Am I supposed to do something? Am I supposed to obey God's rules? A little bit here, a little bit there. And so Isaiah fulfilled this commission, and he blinded and hardened the people by clearly preaching the truth, that they were in error, and they were in sin, 
and they needed to turn and believe in Jesus, but they had these, these rules and they had these laws that the, the religious leaders kept lording over them and, and the kings would manipulate. And, and so they continued to, to make fun and poke at Isaiah. And, and the further light on what Jesus means in Luke is provided by the parallel account of the sower in Matthew 13, which also references Isaiah 6. Whoever, and later on we'll read, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not understand. In essence, Jesus is saying it's your condition of your heart that determines whether there is any receptivity to the truth. Many people, especially religious leaders, had heard straightforward teaching from Jesus. Nicodemus pulls Jesus aside and says, hey, uh, where do I get the entry ticket? Ticketmaster hasn't come out yet. How do I get into heaven? How do I buy a ticket to heaven? What do I need to do? I've done everything else. Where's the ticket? Like, what's the catch? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to be made new. You can't do it. The word has come. It's so simple. You have to be made new. And Jesus has to do that for you. And so he explains in a parable of here's the process. Here's the type of soils that your heart is in. And those who receive the truth and act upon it, those who receive the word, allow it to take root in their life, producing fruit. It's a process. It's not overnight. And that is what leads to fruit and repentance. And then you see we're using the word for our benefit or we'll lose it if we just lay it out for the birds to snatch away, for Satan to steal. And so the truth-rejecting people became increasingly hard-hearted, and that's why Jesus shares this story and talks about the simplicity that Christ wants everyone to understand. The seed is the word of God in verse 11. And the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, which Jesus is the word. So here Jesus is both the sower and the seed. And then he passes the torch of the sower on to the disciples and their disciples and their disciples as they continue to add value and invest and instruct and make another humble servant committed to following Christ who does that, does that. And now we're here today holding the same Bible, preaching the same message. Nothing is, this is amazing. And it was written to them for us. And it's the seed of God's word. And, and first it goes out and, and it lands on the, on the wayside. And the people hear, but Satan steals the word away in verse 12. So that they may not believe and be saved. Satan's very quick to grab that seed on hard soil. The farmer's fields in ancient Palestine were long, narrow strips divided by paths. Now we have giant plots of land divided by the roads that the tractors and the trucks and the field workers walk on and just pack that soil down so hard that if any seed, now everything's probably so automated and everything, I'm not a farmer, so you know, getting all the seed in there, but if any seed did fall on the roads which seed's so expensive now, you better not waste any seed, right? But get on that road, it's not going to grow, and the birds are going to snatch it away right away. Ever try and plant grass around here? There's like birds everywhere. And, and they come in, you know, I'm always shooting my little red rider, like pew, pew, trying to get them off my seed. And I get like three that grow, and I'm like, dude, I just bought a whole bag of contractors mix. I had to upgrade to the blue stuff that could contain more water or something, because I'm like, dude, how do I get grass to grow? This the, the, the birds just swoop in and take it. Imagine if the, the ground is harder. It lands on the driveway. There's no grass growing there. It's too hard. And the same method is applied here to Scripture. Jesus is saying, look, 
when the seed lands on that hard soil, there's no hope. And, and Satan's going to swoop in and snatch it away before that soil can be tilled or before fertile soil is put over the top. And life for many is, is boiled down to just ESPN, a beer, a fishing pole, going on a fishing trip. It's, hey, whatever, everything's good. It's a couple hours in a, in, a, in a beauty shop salon getting my hair done, looking forward to that, getting that car, that vacation I'm looking forward to. That's what life has been boiled down to, whether it, it's because of modernity. You, you have no room for, for God because you don't have to think about that anymore. Everything's just provided. You can, you can order it on Amazon. It'll be there in a couple days or a couple weeks, depending on where you're at. It's, it's all this modern, futuristic reality. Someone penned this, and it was a beautiful way to understand it. They said, into this world to eat and to sleep and to know no reason why he was born, save to consume the corn, devour the cattle, flock and fish, and leave behind an empty dish. And it's so dark and, and dire that that's the purpose of life for so many. And it's modernity that's allowed the perpetual pleasures to, to, to distract us and to be the seed on hard soil that, well, there's another thought. And now it's the technological brilliance that substitutes God. And there's a commercial a number of years ago that Will Smith was on and showed how he's actually aged and you can make him look so young because everything's on a blue screen or green screen and it's all CGI and there's nothing real. And how social media is all these, these visuals and pictures to make you seem that your life's miserable and that you're wanting more. And, and that's not real. That's all just edited fake. And then the reality is now they're saying in the next 10 or 12 years, people are just going to put on a headset and jump into the metaverse because why would you ever want to, to, to show your gray hairs? Like, you're good. You could just stay 22 forever and, and, and be in the metaverse, the digital space. And that's, that's substituting God and, and, the real, and the need for God. And this is our world that we're living in. And, try, and so it's interesting as I read this, I'm like, man, I think Jesus was thinking more about us than his hearers. He's like, yeah, you farmers are simple-minded. These are the ones who have like the hard soil. And, they need, and, and I think it was both. It's just in our arrogance, we think, oh, our lives are so hard now and people are so hard and against God. These were the religious leaders, the Jews that Jesus came to and he told them a simple parable like Isaiah and they're like, I don't get it. We don't get it. It's hard. Their hearts were hard difficulties, we see that the next part that comes in verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. It's the difficulties that make so many people quit. They come to faith, but the roots are shallow. And in the same context of, of why he's saying this, in Palestine, there was a thin strip of land, but then it would hit the limestone bedrock. And so the seed would take root quickly, and there'd be a little bit of dew, and then the, the scorching heat through the rest of the day would just wither it away, and it would be gone like that. And how many times have we been to a retreat, a uh, summer camp, and year after year we'd go to winter camp and summer camp, and you'd go up the hill, and it'd be the seed of the Word of God would would land in some, some decent shallow soil, and, 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 then, and then you know what happened would Friday night, they'd warn us, and they'd say, hey, there's, the, there's phone calls and texts that are going to happen as you get on the hill, and they're going to invite you back to your old life, and, and there's a temptation there, and it's, 
don't be a flash in the pan, they'd say. Don't let this just be a, a quick thing and, and let this truly let the roots go down deep. And, and sure enough, Saturday, Sunday, the next week, everyone would, would most would, would fall back into their, their old life. And you, now Jesus is saying, look, this whole crowd, some of you have literally hard hearts. Some of you, you're going to go, yeah, Jesus healed my friends, brothers, sisters, nieces, cousin, aunt, and boom, I believe. Oh, you want to go? Yeah, let's go do that thing. Let's go steal. Let's go. Yeah, I'm going to hook up with this chick. I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and you're like, wait, I thought you were just at that crowd thing with Jesus. Oh, no, it wasn't real for you. Okay. Interesting. And we've seen this, right? The moment there's another option, the moment there's, there's a, a temptation, the moment there's, there's a trial. And Jesus said, actually, you can take joy when there's trials because when the hardship comes, when the heat comes, the professing Christian will have the fruit and will withstand when everything gets washed away and the Christian's there remaining and everyone's freaking out. And you're like, I don't have anything to freak out about. I know exactly what the world is. I know exactly what the human heart's condition is, Jesus told me. And I, and I know because I, I know me and I'm in sin and Jesus saved me and he's making me new. You, do you want Jesus? You can have him. And that's the fruit Jesus is talking about here that, that the believer has. And maybe you're one who has told or has heard someone say, now you're a Christian. Don't, don't let anyone just tell you otherwise, they would say, but their faith has shriveled when hard times came. And there was no real life. There was no soul that, that's, that's flourishing when the hard times come. Because in our day, there's so many people that want to just accept Christ and, and put him in their heart and save him for a rainy day or, or save him for, for when they need him as like a genie in a bottle. But are you really saved? Like, do you have new life in Christ? And is that, has that word, that seed, really taken root and grown, and you know you're saved? Because as a true believer, it's a little uncomfortable to, to question your salvation, but it's so helpful and go, wait, in this storm, God's still God, and I'm his son. Or God's still God, and I'm his daughter. And it's uncomfortable, and it's hard, but I know God's got me, and I believe, and I'm saved. But the unbeliever really gets agitated because they're like, oh, no, I'm, 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 I, I want to get out of hell free card, but I don't really want to follow Jesus. And that's the next part of verse 14. The new growth is choked out by cares and riches of the pleasures of this world. The thorns, Jesus explained, are, the, are represented in the lives of the worries and the riches and the pleasures. And it's easy to, to say, well, it, I'm still saved, but my friends were bad influences. It's easy to blame other people here with the thorns. But if you think about it, I know for me growing up in a Tascadero, and my thorns, we always had thorns. We never talked about them. We never really dealt with them until the dog brought the thorns in the house or the thorns stepped on, they're in your foot when you stepped on. Then you went and dealt with the thorns. But no one, no one goes, hey, how's your soul? Oh, dude, let me, let me tell you my thorns. Like, I really, some people do. You know, sometimes that I kind of blurt out, like, hey, here's what's on my heart. But most of the time, Hey, life's good. Everything's good. You kind of keep your thorns in the backyard. Keep them hit. You don't really deal with it unless it's a pressing thing or, or people see, hey, you're, you know, all of a sudden you check your credit card and you're like $100,000 in debt. And, but day in and day out, week in and week out, you're not really dealing with the, the thorns, the cares and the riches. They're just there. The pleasures that you're seeking, all of a sudden you wake up and you're divorced and you're like, wait, I didn't, oh, all those days and years I was a jerk to her. Oh, yeah, that, that may, the, th the pleasures, the thorns that are, that are there under the surface, but you don't really, you're not really focused on getting the thorns out of your life. And you, you think about it this way, someone described our souls as a, as a, as a stream. 
And unless we're caring for that stream and focusing and paying attention to the stream, sooner or later we go through a storm and some logs fall down and dam up the stream and, and debris gets stuck in there and then all of a sudden it's stagnant water and it's gross and there's stuff that's just not good. And, and similarly, you look in your backyard, if it's not mowed, attended to, put the Roundup stuff down, you're going to have some thorns that are going to be unhealthy and, and nasty. And it's not your neighbor's fault that your backyard has thorns. It's not someone else's fault, right, that you're in debt because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's not the Joneses' fault. We need to be honest and say, no, it's my heart's distracting tendency. It's my heart's inability to be content. It's the riches and pleasures of saying, I, I, I need more. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve Two masters. You're going to either love one and you'll hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't look at the neighbor and say, I want that. You know, when I drove in and my neighbor had, had these two razors, they're these off road, side by side, like super. One of them was, was 85 uh, horsepower, and it was obviously not adequate. I mean, who has a souped-up 85-mile-an-hour like go-kart off-road thing that's like lame? So he had to obviously upgrade to one that has 150 horsepower. Like, come on. He can't be slowing down on the dunes and messing around. And so he has two now. And it's like, wow. And so often in America, it's like, well, I need one now because my neighbor has one, or I want to go have fun. And whatever that thing is, it's not his fault that he has two that – no, it's my heart, and, and is my heart, is it content? And is your heart content? And do we recognize the, the thorns that pop up and the cares and the, and the worries and the, the things in this life? My son got a new baseball bat, and, and my daughters w- just kept rolling their eyes. They're like, dude, calm down. And I'm like, Mike, it's just a bat. It's cool, but you don't need to consume every word and thought. And he's bouncing off the wall, swinging the bat, hitting his sister. And pe- I'm like, just put the bat down, put it away, like... But what's the bat in your life that you're just so consumed with? For us, we laugh at it like, oh yeah, a kid is bat. But isn't that true for us? Like there's a thing that's a bat in our life where we, we talk about it, we think about it, it consumes us. And, direct, and, and even for believers, we have to take inventory. Okay, what part of my life? Maybe there's some thorns. And finally, we get to the good, the good soil. And he says, as for... That in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Holding the word fast in an honest and good heart. That's not natural. That's a work of God in us to create an honest and good heart that would be able to hold seed and allow the word to grow and then produce fruit and the worst part of this whole sermon is that P word in there. I, I try not to look at it too long. Patience. It, it takes patience. It's not overnight. You can't fix your spouse or you can't expect friendship. You can't expect God to do this amazing work in your life overnight and it'd be easy. Oftentimes he's like, perfect. You want me to work in your life? Here's a trial. Here's a storm. Here's another trial. Oh yeah, we're going back into the valley for a long time. Okay, peak. Yep, you get a little breather. Back into a valley. We're like, God, really? Like, why is that be so hard? How is this whole faith thing in a, in a world of fear? Can't I just have faith and fun? Why does the world have to be fearful and dread and dark? And it's, it's why he, 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 he goes right into the last two parts that apply this. It's this good soil. 
that only he can produce in us. It's a simple message, and it's so hard to do because we rely on ourselves. But when we just surrender to him and say, okay, if you want, if you want good soil, you got to rototill. I know it's going to be painful, but just go for it. Have good luck, by the way, because some of you, and, and I've known some people are like, wow, looking back, you had the hardest heart. And, and God chose to come and break up the soil. He, he cleared any of the, the thorns and the thistles. And he made sure that the, the bedrock was punctured through so the seed could, the roots could go down deep. And the producing fruit of your life, it, let's praise God for that. As, as Paul said in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's not natural. Joy, nope. Peace, patience, oh, that tough word again. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The world knows nothing of that. The world knows nothing of truth. Now in our day, you can't define a boy or a girl by the Supreme Court. And anytime there's an attempt to say, hey, let's just focus on like facts and truth, and, and, and you have companies that are like, ah, you're attacking gay. Let's, let's don't say gay, Bill. And now all of our agenda and all of our theme parks and all of our media is going to be forcing this ideology on you. That you can't have truth. You have to believe what we want you to believe. And here's our new definitions. And we see why Isaiah was sent that message. Hey, just go speak truth and clearly. And, and Jesus said the same thing. Hey, you don't understand what I'm going to tell you, so I have to tell you in a story. And even that, you're not going to believe it. Because in our hearts, they're hard. Or... They're self or they're shallow, and it's like, hey, that's a good thing. Love people, I like that. But everything else, patience, selflessness, goodness, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not okay with that. Everyone has to believe what I want to believe. And then there's thorns and the cares of this world, and, and so we we're in a world that hasn't changed, but God continues to be working constantly in the world that keeps nothing new is under the sun. It's just we go in cycles of, of how we express it and how we deal with it and the, the challenges that we face. And we see this parable gives us insight. There's no doubt as to what true hearing is. It's a heart that hears and does God's word. That There's many that are going to leave here and you're not even going to fail to use the word to have it taken from you because you're not even going to leave with the word. You're going to leave it here. You're going to close your Bible and leave the word here. And, and for some of you, you're going to leave, and you're going to use it, and you're going to see it produce fruit in your life and others. But some of you are going you're gonna to maybe carry it with you, and that's going to be taken from you. But we see the, the heart that hears and does God's word to further share Christ with the world understands that this, these, these, this parable is explaining our heart's condition and our need for Jesus. George Whitfield said this, Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. It's, it's so huge because as a young pastor, I'm like, how do I get all of this that I'm still learning and processing into all of you? And Jesus had a great crowd, the biggest crowd ever, of all backgrounds and faith and sexual orientations and alcoholism and gambling. And he's like, I got the biggest crowd how are they supposed to know that I love them and I died for them and I'm going to make them new? They have to understand their own soul, soil problem. 
Because I'm the word, I'm the seed, and I need to get into each one of your hearts and do something in there at different times in different places. And I love all of you, and I created all of you in my image. And here's the good news. And he tells this beautiful story. And then for those that have been his disciples that are getting the understanding with patience, he says, you guys, don't be so concerned about how good you are at presenting the seed. Focus not on the sower. That's what I'm doing, and I'm going to give that job to you, but focus on the power and the purpose of the seed. He says, look, when you guys invite people over to your house and you turn on a light, who turns it off again? Who goes around with duct tape and tapes off all your light bulbs so when your friends come over and they hit a light switch, nothing happens? That's insane. Like, I would run out of that house. I'm like, dude, you're going to kill me? Are you going to hurt me? Or this is just weird? Like, I'm not hanging out anymore with you. Like, I don't know what your deal is because I don't see any cocaine or crack around, but this is weird. Like, why would you tape off all of the lights? And Jesus is like, back then they didn't have light bulbs and wiring. They had lamps. So he said, why would you light a lamp and then hide it? That doesn't make sense. So why would you believe in Jesus and allow him to change your life and then act like you're not new or hide it from people? And he says, there's going to be a cost. I get it. You're, you're going to follow me and the world's going to hate you like it hates me. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be punished. Sometimes spouses who aren't following Jesus together, that's, that's hard. Friends who aren't following Jesus together, that's they, not going to last. In your workplace, when, you're, when your company aligns with the world, whether it's woke or whether it's some sexual ideology they're, they're forcing everyone to comply to, that you're going to have to face, am I going to stay in this employed here or am I going to look for somewhere else to, to work? And how do I remain following Christ when following Christ is to be attacked? And and, and that's what he's saying here is, look, if you're going to use the seed, then you better be prepared to be a light for all to see. Because nothing you do, you, you try and talk with someone, you know, you're married and you're talking, flirting with that coworker, your wife's going to find out. You, you're, you're spending money on the side, you're hiding it, you think people aren't going to find out. Everything's going to be revealed at some point. And so he's saying, look, verse 18, take care then how you hear for the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And then the second conclusion we see is, is, is he has this massive crowd that his own brothers and mom couldn't get to him because the crowd was so big. And then the last verse, 21, but he answered them, my mother and brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's saying, you guys, hear the word and do it. And then you're like my family. It's not that my mom and brothers are someone special. You're created in my image, and I've given you the seed. So go and, and use it and spread it. But you have to hear it first. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, helped me understand this. He, he led an underground seminary for the theological students during the Nazi regime in Germany. And, and despite having some... Just to be honest, sometimes sermons aren't the most engaging, I admit. Even from like, that, that was uh, maybe a hit. I don't know if I got on base that week, but hey, at least we made contact. Uh, hopefully you're staying engaged and, and awake. Other times it's like, man, that was a home run. I'm like, I know the Holy Spirit used me, and I let him. I didn't get in the way that time. I should do that more often. But Bonhoeffer was saying the same thing. When, when he would listen to a sermon, sometimes they were hard to hear, but sometimes they're easier, and he would just put his pen and paper aside and have the Bible open, and he would just stay focused on the seeds that were coming out. 
And he was, he was wanting to hear as much of what God's word had to say to him that day and wanting to make sure he was, had that good soil. He was, he was ready to receive so that the, the two observations we make is that he would remain being not only having good soil in his soul, but he would be a good cedar. He would be a good seed spreader. So those are the two observations we have as we close. Are we, are we good soil? Or are we hard-hearted, with, full of pride? Or are we humble? A humble servant committed to following Jesus. Are we a disciple who's making disciples? Are we, is our soul rocky and shallow? We're selfish and focused only on ourselves. And when Jesus says, I love you, you're like, yeah, that's awesome. I want a God that loves me. And then he says, love others. And you're like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. That's not happening. But you can keep loving me, God. That sounds great. Or are we selfless? Has the gospel taken root and broken through that bedrock and, and realized, man, I'm, I'm here to serve my wife and my kids. I'm here to serve my, my husband and my kids. And, and I'm being walked all over all day long as a mom. And no one appreciates me. And I love it because this is what God's called me to do. And I'm selfless. And I keep just getting yelled at and talked back to. And this is beautiful. This is amazing. Thank you, God. I get to serve. And, and Jesus became a servant of all, that he might save all. And what a beautiful invitation he calls us into and says, look, I'm going to change your heart and perspective here. And the, thorn, the thorny parts of our hearts, have we allowed the Spirit to remove and keep us in check that we're not living only for the earthly things, but our focus is on the eternal. Our focus and our aim and our, our, our time is spent focusing on what's going to last eternally. Are we good soil? The word is the focus, not the seed spreader. Just cross that out in your Bible and write good soil versus bad soil, not the, the, the seed spreader. That's going to, in a number of years, I'm not going to be here. There's going to be a new seed spreader. And we're all replaceable, but we're all called to go spread the seed because it's the word of God. It's Jesus that needs to get out to everyone. And that's the next point is, are we good seeders? Are we good seed spreaders? When you're with your family, are you spreading God's word? Even if it's late with your young kids, are you, hey, we're going to have a quick Bible story in the car ride home? Or, or are you sitting down around the dining room table and, hey, I, I'm having a hard time with this verse, kids. What do you think? Are you sharing the gospel with, in, in God's word with your family? And when, when you're with your friends, are you sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly? Not just, yeah, I went to church and it's great, but hey, my, I haven't, I know I follow Jesus, but I've actually not spent time in God's word in a while, and, and I'm, man, my soul is just a mess, and, and, and as I, I need to go back to, to Jesus, and I need to go back and, and let him clean my life up, and are you sharing that? And it's usually a process, right? We're never just high, high, or low, low. We're kind of in the journey, and are you sh inviting people into what God's doing in your life? None of us is anything of a seed spreader that we can boast about, but our trust is in Jesus. The Word is in the seed. He, he's going to cause it to grow in us. You know, the, the crazy thing is I think about this is for 120 years, Noah said it's going to rain. And he believed it. He built the ark, and everyone saw his commitment to the message as a messenger full of character and patience, and no one believed us outside of his family. Then you have Jonah who goes to Nineveh and his message was turn, and, turn or burn. Repent or you're all going to die. 
trust in God or he's going to kill you. And they're like, yeah, we should trust in God. Who's this God again? Tell me more. And Jonah's like, what? It's not the messenger. It's the message. It's the gospel. It's the good news that he's going to produce the good soil and allow the seed to grow. Many men can preach the gospel better than I, but no one can preach a better gospel. May I encourage you with that as we leave and take the seed and use it. Do something this week with the good news, with the gospel, or else what has been given to you will be taken away. Don't allow Satan to steal the seed of God's word today, but use it for his glory and your good. As we take communion now for the believer, it's an amazing thing to to think about faith and how God's given it to us and I'm going to give you a minute to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal in your heart maybe there's a, some work he's going to do in your soul to create that good soil for his word to take root. Or maybe it's the realization that, yeah, a lot of people can share the gospel better than you, so you think, but there's no better gospel to share. And so with your family, friends, coworkers, who's that person in, in your life God's put there, placed there, for you to share the seed of God's word with. And I'll come back up in a minute and close this with communion.